Welcome to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about how some are looking to address the influx of non-citizen migrants transported to Illinois and the outcome of the state's electric vehicle rebate program. I'll then join the Center Square's Brett Rowland to further discuss the news. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Freedom and liberty are important to all of us in Illinois, from Rockford to Carbondale, from Quincy to Decatur. If you're looking for civil, intellectual conversations with those shaping the future of freedom, try the Future of Freedom podcast with me, Scott Bertram. We speak with leaders across the country in the greater conservative and libertarian movements. In-depth conversations about where the next intellectual battles will happen across the country. It's the Future of Freedom podcast. Find it at americastalking.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. A coalition of congressional leaders, Illinois business officials, and immigration advocates want to get migrants entered into the workforce. Kevin Bessler has that story. Over 13,000 asylum seekers have arrived in Illinois over the past year. Illinois Democratic U.S. Senator Dick Durbin says allowing immigrants to work would help ease the labor shortage. There are jobs that go vacant because American workers are not taking these jobs. These immigrants are ready to step in and take the hardest, dirtiest, roughest jobs imaginable because they always have. Peoria Republican U.S. Representative Darren LaHood says many of the migrants have not been properly processed through legal immigration channels. When you allow in 4 million people under the Biden administration that have come across the border illegally, that not complying with the rule of law, then, then that's problematic. Governor J.B. Pritzker and Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson have asked the Biden administration to create a state-sponsored parole program to allow asylum seekers to obtain work permits. I'm Kevin Bessler. The first round of Illinois' rebate program for buyers of electric vehicles is over, and a new $12 million round is set to begin. The next round opens November 1st. The first round for fiscal year 2023 cost taxpayers $19 million. That's nearly 4,900 purchasers of EVs getting $4,000 rebates for the previous fiscal year. Of those, around 10% were low-income individuals, despite the program prioritizing such applicants. Among those granted rebates, nearly 300 were luxury models, costing up to $125,000. The Pritzker administration says the program is competitive and part of the, quote, clean energy revolution. Republican State Senator Andrew Chesney said taxpayers are paying the bill and the program needs to be scrapped. If electric vehicles is a good product, then they should be able to stand on their own two feet. And I don't know why we're inserting ourselves into the private sector to change consumer behavior. Uh, if, if this is, in fact, good for the consumer, let the consumers buy it. But the idea that it needs to be federally or, or subsidized on the state level, I just I just simply could not support that. Of last year's total, 2,769 Tesla owners were given rebates. The program also gives $1,500 rebates to all electric motorcycle purchases. Those are some of the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, I'll join the Center Square's Brett Rowland. This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. 
Breaking news, that's what the Center Square does best. The stories other media outlets refuse to report, the Center Square's breaking them all the time. Stories about government waste and political spending, stories about partisan agendas that hijack your tax dollars. The Center Square has it all covered and delivers the biggest news to your inbox as it happens. Sign up now for your state Center Square newsletters at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Greetings and welcome to Illinois in Focus, powered by the Center Square. I'm Brett Rowland, investigative reporter for the Center Square, filling in for executive editor Dan McCaleb, who's traveling this week. Joining me today is Greg Bishop, associate Illinois editor and senior Capitol Bureau reporter. How are you, Greg? I'm well, Brett. Looking forward to one final week of some high temperatures, but then we get into fall and uh, that's 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 my season right there. Time to get out and enjoy the weather. Good point. Uh, We're recording this on Thursday, August 31st. Greg, what are we talking about today? Well, we've got a lot to talk about. Even with the state legislature not in session and the state fairs over, there is a plethora of things to cover. And I think top of mind for a lot of people is the ongoing uh, situation with non-citizens being transported to Chicago. Uh, There was some pretty uh, incredible video that uh, the Chicago Police uh, Union president, John Catanzara, shared to show the situation on the ground. And uh, he did uh, several Facebook live videos going to different Chicago Police Department uh, offices. And uh, in the early morning hours, you could see just walking up to the front door of the police station, migrants with their uh, belongings under tarps scattered all along the sidewalk. And then you walk in and right in the lobby, even blocking the front door are dozens and dozens of migrants uh, sleeping on the lobby floor. And he did that not just at one, but four or five different Chicago Police Department headquarters and really highlighted the uh, the situation that uh, Chicago's dealing with. Katanzar is saying it's not proper working conditions for police officers, and he's trying to raise that uh, issue with OSHA and the city of Chicago. But he says that, uh, that there doesn't seem to be much willingness to address it. But one thing that uh, Chicago officials and Democrats uh, in Congress and at the Illinois State House are looking to uh, address the issue is to have the federal government provide work permits for recently arrived non-citizens seeking asylum. So we already have a uh, work visa program that's for certain eligible uh, non-citizens to be able to work in the United States, but uh, the recently arrived uh, asylum seekers are not part of that group. So Governor J.B. Pritzker, U.S. Senator Dick Durbin, Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson, uh, several members of Illinois' Democratic congressional delegation, they held a news conference this week uh, asking for the federal government to uh, make that a policy, to go ahead and uh bring about these uh, work visas for those seeking asylum in the United States to allow them to work between now and whenever their asylum hearing may be. Now, uh, some of the numbers, uh, it's pretty uh, staggering when you sit back and think about it. Just in the past 12 months since this time last year, 13,000 non-citizen migrants have been transported to Chicago. That's just Chicago. Uh, These are people coming from all different countries, crossing the southern U.S. border uh, into Texas and elsewhere and being transported to Chicago. You've got stories out of New York and L.A. and elsewhere that uh, they're dealing with the same situation of an influx of migrants without the resources to handle it. And even Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson said that uh, this is very much an issue that 
the city's going to have a, a more increased difficult time handling it if the federal government doesn't step up. So one of the things that they promoted was getting these work visas and then having comprehensive immigration reform, as they call it. But some Republicans pushing back, uh, even with uh, the idea of the business community, the manufacturers, the uh, restaurant association, and even a group that represents landscapers, they're pushing for these work visas. And uh, Senator Durbin said that uh, these migrants, they do the hard, dirty work that uh, maybe some Americans don't want to do. But even with that, you have uh, downstate Republican state representative, Charlie Meyer. He's a farmer, and he talks about how they do use migrant workers on the farm, but they're fully vetted. They go through a process uh, before they can get the visa to work on that farm. Uh, He worries that if the program the governor wants to implement is implemented by the federal government, then uh, you would have uh, poorly vetted individuals coming to work on these farms. So uh, another pushback we got was from uh, U.S. Representative Darren LaHood, a Republican out of Peoria, and he said any conversation about this issue needs to start with closing the southern border and making sure that we don't have people crossing into the United States. So you can obviously see some of the lines drawn in the sand with this issue, but uh, with the taxpayer cost continuing to balloon from the tens of millions of dollars the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois have paid for housing these migrants to the resources being uh, used by Chicago police departments to house these migrants to even uh, the subsidized health care coverage for those over the age of 65 who are in this country as non-citizens at the expense of Illinois taxpayers. Uh, this is obviously an issue that's not going to go away anytime soon. The costs so far have been about $250 million. Is that right, Greg? The governor uh, intimated that much. And as far as uh, the the costs of uh, housing and providing different types of services, uh, and I think he had mentioned the, the federal government's only uh, reimbursed about thirty eight million or so. Uh, and again, you've got the other issue of the subsidized health care coverage, which is budgeted for five hundred and fifty million dollars this year. And there's been speculation that uh, that money could dry up sometime this fall. And Greg, that's a lot. Tell us what else is going on in Illinois. Is there some new news regarding Michael Madigan this week? Well, last week you had the uh, verdict uh, against Tim Mapes, the uh, former clerk of the House and former Madigan chief of staff. And uh, you heard the uh, you know typical responses from uh, Republicans calling for more ethics reforms, uh, maybe a few statements uh, from, from other political actors. But we hadn't heard anything from Governor J.B. Pritzker. Uh, well, this week we were able to, to get a question into the governor uh, when he made a stop down at Litchfield. Uh, and uh, we asked, uh, you know, about uh, his thoughts on what kind of lessons Democrats or anybody should take away from uh, the entire Madigan Enterprise prosecution. Now, one thing the governor said is that there's not much to learn from the MAPES guilty verdicts that the legislature may act upon. But he said that there's always room to improve ethics reforms. Uh, to to make the government uh, work better for taxpayers and to to get away from corruption. But ultimately, the governor said that uh, while there's a lot of things uh, that you can indicate need to change from the entire Madigan Enterprise prosecution, because remember, you had the comment for trial that resulted in four uh, guilty verdicts earlier this year and Madigan facing trial next year. uh, The governor said it really comes down to electing better representatives uh, and ensuring that uh, they 
uh, are upstanding individuals. But uh, you've got Republicans still uh, pushing for uh, more reforms, more independence of the inspector general to investigate wrongdoing, uh, even down to the uh, the uh, prohibition of using campaign money to defend oneself against these types of allegations, uh, which is something that Madigan has done to the tune of millions of dollars from his campaign funds. So um, I think that we're going to be talking about uh, Madigan Enterprise for uh, for the months ahead, especially as uh, lawmakers prepare to head into veto session in October. And I think a big question is, are they going to tackle any ethics changes during veto session when they come into session for that six days? Speaking of the veto session, Greg, what are we expecting to come up this fall? I really think energy is going to be a major focus. Uh, the governor vetoed two big energy bills. One would have lifted the moratorium on new nuclear facilities. The other uh, would have given Ameren, Illinois, uh, which provides uh, electricity for uh, much of the central and southern part of the state, would allow them right of first refusal for high transmission line construction. Amron said that they needed that to keep costs down. The governor vetoed it, essentially saying that it could have created a monopoly type of situation and increased prices. But those pushing for the lifting of the nuclear moratorium, they say that they need more uh, small modular nukes to power the grid because of the governor's policies of more renewable energy causing prices to increase and questions about reliability. You know, we just had a pretty hot summer uh, with uh, last week with temperatures were 90 plus degrees, triple digit heat index. And there were questions about grid reliability then. I uh, didn't see any reports of brownouts, but uh, still something that's on people's minds. And especially if you have more coal fired power plants shutting down, uh, something needs to come in and replace that. And uh, there was bipartisan support for lifting the nuclear moratorium, but the governor vetoed that, saying it wasn't as precise as maybe he wanted it. So I think energy policy is definitely going to dominate the six days of fall veto session. I don't think that they're going to override the governor on any of the vetoes he provided, but they could come back. And since they're in session, they can pretty much pass anything they want. So they may come back and rewrite some of this and uh, try to get it across the finish line that the governor could sign. But another thing is on the minds of a lot of people heading back to the state house in October, and that's the school choice scholarship program. Now, uh, you know, the, the, the investing kids program, Brett is, is about five years old and it was part of uh, the negotiations of increasing the school funding formula for the state of Illinois for K through 12 schools. Now, that plan several years ago said that the state's going to increase K through 12 school funding by three hundred and fifty million dollars per year. And in exchange for that, there was a uh, pilot program that started called Invest in Kids. And this is a privately funded scholarship program with the funds coming from the private sector and they get a 75 percent Illinois income tax credits on the donations they make. That money then goes through granting organizations that give it to families meeting a certain criteria. And uh, those dollars can then be used to go to a school, a private school of that family's choice. So they can take their child out of a maybe low performing school or a school that doesn't fit their needs in the K through 12 public school space and put them in a private school. Uh, now, the sunset on this pilot program set to expire here at the end of the year. 
and lawmakers in spring session did not address that sunset, despite various groups and families uh, lobbying in Springfield to have the sunset lifted. So they uh, didn't act on it in, in spring session. Here we are now approaching fall session and the final six days of the legislative calendar before the end of the year. And while school's starting up for children across the states, either they're in school now or they're heading back soon, uh, there's a, a lot of uncertainty for those families who are part of the Invest in Kids scholarship program, because if this does expire at the end of the year, that's going to leave these families in limbo for only half a year's worth of school covered from this private, you know, uh, private sector investment opportunity known as Invest in Kids. I right. we got the question to the governor this week about that, and he says that's up to the legislature. Uh, but you've got uh, a bipartisan group of individuals looking to find some kind of uh, way to extend the Invest in Kids program. Whether it's reduced or modified, we shall see. But if they don't do anything, then it expires come at the end of the year. About how many kids participate in that, Greg? I want to say since the program has been enacted, 9,000 or so. And uh, there are income requirements. It doesn't just go to anybody. Uh, it goes to families that uh, have uh, 400% of the poverty level. So if they go over that threshold in their income, then they're no longer eligible. Uh, so you've got a good uh, fair amount of uh, families that have taken advantage of this program. And uh, granting organizations say that they have a very high satisfaction rate. And in particular, uh, they're uh, looking at, uh, you know, the, the outcomes of education, especially with poor outcomes in K through 12 schools across the state. Uh, and you've got the teachers unions. They are uh, opposed to the Invest in Kids program, saying that it uh, diverts public dollars away from public schools. Uh, but we'll see how uh, how the arguments play out whenever uh, they do bring this up, if they bring this up during veto session. Speaking of public dollars, there was a report this week about electric vehicle rebates in Illinois, um, including a lot of money going to some high-priced cars like Porsches, BMWs, and, and other expensive cars. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, I didn't uh, know what an Audi e-tron was, uh, but uh, it's about a $90,000 electric vehicle. Uh, so, listen, there's uh, electric vehicle rebates uh, in Illinois to the tune of $4,000 if uh, somebody wants to get a rebate, a taxpayer subsidized rebate. Uh, and this started all with uh, the governor's Clean Energy Jobs Act back in 2021. Took a while for the program to get up and running. But last year for fiscal year 2023, there was $19 million in these rebates paid out to recent buyers of electric vehicles. Now, the program, it's meant to encourage electric vehicle uptake, get people into the market for electric vehicles, because part of the governor's goal is to get a million EVs on the road by, I think, 2035. And uh, to do that, incentivize it with a $4,000 taxpayer-funded rebate. And the program was also meant to focus on low-income individuals. Well, uh, our Scott McClellan with the Center Square, he delved into a lot of the data from the uh, uh, Illinois Environmental Protection Agency and found uh, a list of uh, the, the vehicles that were used in getting these rebates and also the income levels. And it works out that it's only around 10% of the overall 4,900 individuals who got rebates through this program were considered low income. And then when you look at the 
4,900 vehicles that were part of this program for fiscal year 2023, uh, about 300 of them were considered luxury brands. Audis, Porsches, BMWs, Mercedes. Um, so a lot of uh, questions uh, around the effectiveness of this. And uh, one state senator I talked with, Andrew Chesney, he said that uh, the whole program just needs to be scrapped. Um, and and it's, a, it's, it's subsidizing uh, the, the wealthy and well-off being able to purchase a $125,000 electric vehicle and get a $4,000 rebate. While it doesn't really seem to be helping those of lower income who may not be able to afford a brand new or might mildly used electric vehicle. Uh, so it might be interesting to see uh, exactly how legislators take this data and uh, utilize it to, to probably shore up the program. But some people say that it should just be scrapped altogether because if electric vehicles are uh, really uh, able to stand on their own, then the market would dictate that instead of incentivizing it to the uh, tune of $4,000 a piece. And Greg, what's the, I know that you've been following uh, the gun legislation and, and some of the lawsuits around that pretty closely. Tell us what's new on that front this week. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. Um, with the gun ban in particular, uh, you still have the case in the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals on a Second Amendment challenge. So this is the consolidated cases for the Southern District and the Northern District challenging Illinois' gun and magazine ban on the Second Amendment grounds that it violates the right to bear arms or the right to keep and bear arms. And uh, that's that challenge is still pending. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. No indication when that's going to be released. However, one of the attorneys in the consolidated cases is ready to argue that the law violates the Constitution on vagueness grounds, claiming that it's just too vague and opens up for, you know, certain attachments. And there's questions about if a screw is considered an attachment or a springs an attachment. So the arguments that he's ready to make October 11th during a summary judgment hearing, which means it's on the merits of the law. It's not about a preliminary injunction. It would be on the merits of the law. October 11th in the Southern District, Attorney Thomas Mag is taking his vagueness arguments to a hearing. Uh, and he says that if the vagueness argument doesn't lead to an injunction, then he's going to bring that Fifth Amendment argument. And that would be uh, against the state's gun registry set to begin January 1st. And uh, his argument there is that previous Supreme Court precedent shows you can't have the government force somebody to incriminate themselves without protections that the information they provide is not going to be used against that individual providing that information. So uh, there's still several challenges queued up and possibly queued up against Illinois gun and magazine ban. We'll definitely be watching that closely. And October 11th is a, uh, a date on the calendar I've got circled. There's been a lot of news this week and in the last couple of weeks about new COVID variants and COVID cases possibly on the rise. What's the data in Illinois showing? And is there any indication that there could be new mandates either for vaccines or masks in Illinois? We asked the governor directly that this week, and uh, he called any uh, any indication that there's going to be mandates coming back, quote, Facebook fakery. But you're right. There's a lot of uh, headlines about uh, a new variant of COVID-19. Looking at some of the CDC data, it shows there's uh, about a 26% increase in hospitalizations with COVID-19 or the most recent variant, um, or however they're, they're tracking that now. Uh, but Illinois is still considered a low transmission state. When you look at the CDC's numbers, at least last I looked earlier this week, 
all green. Uh, so so we were considered a low transmission state. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the uh, the weeks ahead, especially with the vaccine that's on its way out and uh, whether or not we're going to see these types of mandates implemented again. Thank you, Greg, for your insight into all these important stories this week. But that's all the time we had. Listeners can keep up with these stories and more at thecentersquare.com. For Greg Bishop, I'm Brett Rowland. Thank you for listening and please subscribe. 